Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, this is Chip Yorkitis, a partner in the communications group of Kelly Dry. I'm joined today by special counsel, Mike Dover. Uh, we're going to cover two of the three items uh, from the commission's August 3rd open meeting uh, as part of our series. Uh, and giving a quick take uh, on uh, the significant items adopted by the commission in its open meetings. Uh, Today, we're going to start with the commission's new notice of inquiry regarding spectrum usage. The spectrum usage NOI comes out in the broader context of recent spectrum policy activity at the federal level, which is not focused on individual spectrum bands. Although there is plenty of that, with the commission's rulemaking on 13 gigahertz, and it's even more recent rulemaking on 42 gigahertz, uh, which we covered in our May and June podcasts respectively. And by the way, the initial comments on the 13 gigahertz rulemaking, where the FCC is considering the introduction of mobile or other expanded use of that band, will be filed this week, Wednesday, August 9th, and replies are due September 8th. And the NPRM regarding how possible non-exclusive spectrum access models might be deployed in the 42 gigahertz band was just published in the Federal Register on July 31, making comments due August 30th and replies due September 29th. Earlier this year, in April, the Commission adopted a non-binding policy document addressing the responsibilities of transmitters and receivers to operate in spectrum bands as they evolve over time. Although the commission did not adopt any new binding obligations or rules in that release. Further in March, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration issued a request for comment on a national spectrum strategy that it is developing in which the agency announced its intentions to, among other things, identify 1,500 or more megahertz of federal spectrum to repurpose uh, potentially for non-federal uses. Recent reports suggest that NTIA uh, is on target to release a national spectrum strategy document before the end of this year, which would launch the study activity more formally. 12 dozen comments came in responding to the NTIA RFC from a wide variety of industries. So this third more general item, the new spectrum usage NOI, targets the measurement of spectrum use by existing non-federal spectrum users as an important method to obtain actionable information to guide future spectrum management decisions. The NOI asks a wide variety of questions, mostly technical, at least on their face, about how to measure spectrum usage, how to define it, whether different factors should come into play when measuring spectrum usage, such as service requirements and the state of radio system technology, and the challenges and cost of spectrum usage data collection. The ultimate goal, the NOI explains, 
is the identification of opportunities to facilitate more efficient spectrum use, just as controversies swirl around the notion of spectrum efficiency. But the NOI specifically identifies improved spectrum sharing and new approaches to enable coexistence among users and services as desired outcome of the efforts started by the spectrum usage NOI. What's notable is that the chairwoman, Jessica Rosenworcel, did not focus at the open meeting on spectrum usage as such in her remarks before the vote on the item, which passed four to nothing. Don't get me wrong, she delivered the usual statements about the need to find more spectrum in this time of congested spectrum bands, but she quickly moved on to extol the promise of artificial intelligence. Her words, quote, large wireless providers network can generate several million performance measurements every minute. Using those measurements, machine learning can provide insights that help better understand spectrum usage, support greater spectrum efficiency, and improve resiliency by making it possible to heal networks on their own, close quote. Better data about spectrum utilization in geography, frequency, and time, she added, could make FCC policies, quote, smarter and more effective, close quote, and ultimately support what she calls smarter radios using AI that will work autonomously and dynamically in real time without the involvement of a central authority. To advance toward these future visions of a friendly AI, the NOI acknowledges that the FCC's current tools to understand spectrum usage are limited, generating minimal real-time data regarding utilization. While other agencies, such as NTIA, have monitored usage in selective bands and limited geographies from time to time over the years, a comprehensive picture of spectrum utilization has not emerged. International efforts also appear to be in early stages in this area. In the NOI, the Commission seeks comment on a number of threshold questions, specifically emphasizing that the agency does not, quote, invite comment on substantive changes to our underlying spectrum policies or service rules, including eligibility criteria, build-out requirements, band allocations, technical limitations, sharing regimes, or licensing frameworks, end quote. However, the NOI did ask questions, including how to define spectrum usage, also referred to interchangeably as utilization or occupancy, in light of various previous attempts to do so. What actionable and accurate insights might be gained from spectrum usage measurements? In addition to geography, frequency, and time, what other components of usage would be helpful, such as throughput, population potentially or actually served, and the number of end user points? And further, do standardized data formats and methodologies for spectrum usage exist that would mean the same thing to all stakeholders? What aspects of spectrum usage are specific to different types of services and not transferable to other service types? The FCC knows, for example, that some bands may exhibit what appears to be infrequent usage, but that these may also be mission-critical bands supporting, as one possibility, public safety operations. The NOI asks, how do the characteristics of transmitters and receivers impact the measurement of spectrum utilization? How do the characteristics of different services impact the measurement of spectrum utilization? 
Should measurement efforts be different in urban, suburban, and rural areas? What are the potential monetary costs of improving spectrum usage measurement, and who should undertake that effort and shoulder those costs? What commercial sensitivities or privacy concerns might arise, if any, as a result of measuring or monitoring spectrum utilization? What methods and technologies may be off limits to the FCC as a legal matter in an effort to better understand spectrum usage? Now, Lurking throughout the NOI document is the question of whether spectrum efficiency can be assessed in some universal fashion, or whether it is band and deployment specific. One can observe that there are some arguably slippery slopes here, which might possibly threaten the entire enterprise of generating actionable spectrum usage information. But others might counter that this is just the nature of administrative regulation making in which lines must be drawn to move policies and the overall public interest forward. In other words, sausage making 101. Now, finally, there's the overarching question, which the NOI expressly did not seek comment on and doesn't discuss expressly, but it is difficult to see how matters raised in the NOI, although couched as purely technical, can be completely divorced from that question, namely, once the commission has spectrum usage data, what should it do with it? How does one know one has generated actionable information or even how it will go about seeking it unless one already has some idea what it wants to do with the information? Short, the NOI tacitly poses the query, how neutral can the effort to ob obtain spectrum usage data be? Comments on the NOI are due on October 3rd. Fly comments and happy, happy birthday wishes to Presidents Polk and Harding are due on November 2nd. Now I will turn it over to Mike Dover, who will discuss the FCC's adoption of rules, establishing some enhanced discounts. On Thursday, the Commission also adopted an order related to the Affordable Connectivity Program, or ACP. As background, the ACP was established as part of the Infrastructure Act to expand broadband services to qualifying low-income households by offering an up to $30 monthly benefit for those low-income households on non-tribal lands and an up to $75 monthly benefit for low-income households on tribal lands. These benefits are applied directly to a qualifying household's broadband bill by the ACP participant broadband provider. However, in addition, the Infrastructure Act directs the Commission to establish rules for ACP benefits in high-cost areas. High-cost ACP benefits permit ACP providers, if approved, to offer a benefit of up to $75 per low-income household in the high-cost area, and these high-cost areas would be in, such as in rural areas or insular areas where the provider would incur economic hardship to provide the broadband service. In the order adopted by the Commission on Thursday, uh, the Commission uh, sets out the rules for ACP benefits in high-cost areas, some of which I'll br briefly describe today. However, please refer to the Commission's final order once it's issued for additional information. 
first, the commission addressed what is an high cost area. The Infrastructure Act requires the commission to use the high cost areas established by the NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, for use in the BEAD program. As a result, the high cost areas that will be used for ACP high cost area benefits are the same as the areas used for high cost BEAD program projects. And on June 26, 2023, NTIA announced state allocations for the BEAD program and certain high cost areas were included as part of those announcements. The commission states that the same high cost areas can be used for ACP high cost enhanced benefits. Uh, Next, to be able to offer the ACP enhanced benefit, uh, the ACP provider must apply. Um, ACP providers must apply to USAC and make a specific demonstration of need to be able to be eligible for the high cost enhanced benefit for ACP. And in its order, the commission uh, describes several of the criteria for approval. First, the commission concludes that the ACP provider must be a facilities-based provider based on the text of the Infrastructure Act. As a result, non-facilities-based providers are prohibited from participating. Second, the ACP provider must submit documentation, including a certification and economic statement demonstrating that it is experiencing a, quote, particularized economic hardship for each high cost area in which the ACP provider would like to provide the enhanced benefit. A particularized economic hardship is shown by demonstrating that the provider is unable to cover the costs of maintaining the operation of all or part of its broadband network in the high cost area if only the standard $30 monthly discount were applied in the high cost area. As a result, in brief, the uh, ACP applicant must demonstrate through its own economic uh, records, its, its economic hardship, focusing on operating costs and revenue in the high cost area in question. The analysis is not limited to the provider's administrative costs to participate in the ACP program, affecting its overall operating costs, and is not limited to an analysis of the ACP provider's receipt of USF high cost support. The order details numerous specific requirements of this showing in an application, some of which uh, I'll describe here. So um, the ACP applicant should submit an affidavit uh, made under penalty of perjury by a company officer and supported by an income statement demonstrating the provider is currently operating at a loss in each high cost area for which the provider is seeking approval. The affidavit should also describe in sufficient detail the methodology used for determining 
the annualized expenses of maintaining the operation of the provider's broadband network in that particular high cost area and should also factor in payments um, related to the service from the customer for the broadband internet access service, as well as the $30 ACP benefit and any additional subsidies or other financial benefits received for the service. The affidavit should also explain how the economic hardship resulting from the operating loss may limit the provider's ability to maintain the operation of all or part of its broadband network in the high cost area and explain when and why the provider originally began operating in that area. The income statement should cover the previous fiscal year of operations or the last six quarters of operations and should separately identify the NTIA high cost areas the provider serves and for which the applicant is seeking the enhanced ACP benefit. To demonstrate the ACP provider is operating at a loss, the income statement must show that the provider's broadband revenue has been below broadband expenses in at least four of the six fiscal quarters or for the last full fiscal year for each relevant high cost area. Uh, and the order notes if the income statement includes costs and revenue for broadband network operations outside the high cost areas for which the provider is seeking approval, then the provider would need to allocate the costs and revenues associated with the high cost area uh, that it's applying for and provide the costs and revenue allocations in its supporting affidavit. In addition, um, and applying ACP provider should include a certification from the company from a company officer with knowledge of the provider's costs and revenues. That certification has to be under penalty of perjury and state that one, all information submitted is true and act uh, true and correct to the best of the filer's knowledge. Two, the provider will comply with all applicable statutes and commission rules and orders. And three, the provider will use any reimbursed funds received for its intended purpose of providing discounted broadband internet access services to eligible low-income households. The commission anticipates that applications may be electronically submitted and directs USAC to develop a method for doing so, as well as uh, directs USAC to provide training and other support material related to the application. Once approved, an ACP provider offering high cost ACP benefits uh, would then be required to annually resubmit the demonstrated showing of a particularized economic hardship uh, to demonstrate continued eligibility in the program. If a provider fails to provide the renewed submission annually, uh, the provider uh, would be required to provide specific notice to ACP households, um, giving them advance notice before terminating participation in the enhanced ACP benefit for, um, for the high cost area. 
and uh, the, the, the order describes how the notice to the customers uh, must be provided at least 30 days before the last date the provider is approved uh, in the high cost benefit program and with a second notice at least 15 days before the last day the provider is approved to participate in a high cost program. In addition, the order details uh, specifics uh, related to um, other customer notifications. For example, the ACP provider must provide notice to customers uh, when applying uh, to participate in the ACP high cost program. Lastly, the commission clarified whether a household that is both eligible for the ACP high cost area benefit and the ACP enhanced qualifying tribal land benefit may participate in both benefits simultaneously. And the commission answers no. A participating provider is only allowed to seek reimbursement for the enhanced qualifying tribal land or the high cost benefit per eligible household up to the maximum amount of $75 per month. On Thursday, the commission unanimously adopted the order. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, the order has not yet been released, the final order. Uh, following the order's release, the commission's rules for ACP in high cost areas will be effective 30 days after publication in the Federal Register. And uh, that's our take on, that's our first take on the FCC's August open meeting. Join us next time for our first take of FCC action at its open meeting. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. And in September, that's going to be September 21. So uh, quite a few weeks between now and then. So stay tuned. Thank you. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.